You found it. No nonsense. No scripts. Real people on real issues. Hard hitting and action packed with logic, reason, and common sense. Everything you need and everything you've been looking for in a podcast. This is Dynamic Independence with Johnny Anderson, Bruce Adams, Marty Foster, and GP. Welcome to it. Happy Monday, Bruce. How are you? Healthy and alive. Uh, you know, not, not a bad start of the week so far. Been pretty laid back and mild here uh, this weekend. It was mm-hmm. kind of rainy, cloudy, you know. It's uh, been an odd, somewhat odd weather. We've had like three weeks now of cloudy, rainy weather, and I don't think we've seen 80 degree temperatures yet. And that's that's odd for this time of year. Pretty mild. Well, it's going to be a strange week. Uh, there's going to be a couple of holidays this week, so I'm probably not going to be around. So we'll probably have those days off and, you know, odd day off here and there. Yeah, it happens. So uh, we won't be around for a couple of days this week, probably. Tomorrow, definitely. Uh, we won't be around unless, unless I will make a special exception. If Marty does call me and say he wants to come on tomorrow, just because we don't get him that often and his schedule is rather limited, uh, I will make the exception and we will have one tomorrow for him. Uh, but other than that, uh, plan on us taking uh, the day out tomorrow. So we won't be around. Um, other than that, uh, everything here is just peachy. I did go back, however, and being Sunday, it's kind of a slow news day. I do have a few things we'd, we're probably going to cover today. Not sure if we'll go the whole time, but, you know, again, I always say that. I had to go back and pull this one just for you, right? It just because I care so much about your opinion in these matters that I had to go back and pull it. I mentioned this last week and I had to go back and get it. And I remember where I saw it. So I had to go back and I had to pull it. And it was just because I know how you feel about these kind of things. This is the nation's most expensive mud puddle. And you might be asking, what on earth are you talking about? Well, the Bureau of Land Management, the EPA, the Department of Agriculture, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, they all like to pick and choose what is what on your land that you own. So, for example, uh, the EPA classifies clean dirt as a pollutant. I'm not joking. Same thing with hay dust. If there's hay dust blowing on your land, that's classified as a toxin. So they have to come in and regulate it. If they uh, discover freestanding water on your land, it's classified as a marshland or a wetland and allows them to come in and seize it. Again, I'm not joking. Cattle grazing rights. You remember the whole uh, Bundy Ranch thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was Bureau of Land Management. What a mess. Yeah. What an absolute mess. They can come in there. They can claim imminent domain. They can seize your land. And that's it. That's it. They're, and in a lot of cases, they don't even give you just compensation. They just say, yeah, sorry, uh, this is now a uh, uh, <laughs> this is now a sacred place. We're taking it. It's literally that. It's strong arming you. Yeah. So I, I thought and I'd go back. They have the they have the U.S. military backing them. So, I mean, what are you supposed to do as a lowly landowner? Yeah, you 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 peasant you mm-hmm. get in your place. Yeah. So the nation's most expensive mud puddle. And normally I, I don't go through and, and read these things, but uh I thought just because of this that I would have to go down through it just to give you the scope of how bad this is. This and it, this is this is literally a mud puddle. I'm talking about ten feet across and five feet wide in the middle of a cornfield in South Dakota. 
That's all I'm talking about here. That's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying not to laugh here. It starts out that the article, this side of the Epic Times, it starts out with this. Just thought you might like to know what the federal government is doing on your behalf. How the feds are spending your tax dollars on a crazy sounding lawsuit. You know, I thought this was only gone back, you know, two or three years. No, this goes all the way back to 2004. It's been going on since 2004 and land that's been in the same hands of the same family for over 100 years. But I'll get into that. A dispute pits a South Dakota farm family, the Fosters, no relation to Marty, against the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The fight is over a mud puddle. Yes, that's correct, a mud puddle. Said mud puddle is located smack in the middle of prime farmland. The USDA has decreed that the family may not fill in the muddy patch to plant more crops because it considers the 0.08 acre of land to be federally protected under the 1985 Swamp Buster Act, which protects wetlands. No matter... Watch me. Watch me <laughs> fill that land in. Go ahead. I knew, I knew you were going to say that. Come and stop me. It's my land. No matter that the Foster family, or the, the Foster's puddle is not connected to any waterway, and it is not near any officially designated wetlands property. According to their lawyer, if the family dares to tamper with the puddle, they will lose access to crop insurance and other federal programs designed to help American farmers survive. See, so you might- this is another this is another reason I, I detest um, subsidies and whatnot, especially when it comes to the farming. It, it, I, I want to ensure that our farms exist. I mean, that's important because food, but we shouldn't have government coming in and picking and choosing win- uh, winners and losers. It gives them this kind of authority and control. Oh, you, you're not going to do what we tell you. Well, we're just going to revoke your privileges. Same thing we've been talking about with uh, when it comes to social credit and, and the, the UBIs and the, the health care. I mean, it's the same argument in all this. You don't give government this control. No, you don't. And and also it lends credence to the fact that they also throw exorbitant amount of taxes on fa- on farmers, especially if it's yes. a family farm, especially if it's that. And you say, OK, well, farmers are tax exempt. <laughs> I would love to hear that yeah. argument. Yeah. Now, for example, the inheritance tax, right? <laughs> if you no, I'm serious. It, yeah, I, I no, feel no, exactly I, the same it's, way. It's horrible. If you and, and Biden wants to increase that right now, I think it's what, 50 percent or is it more than that now? It's, it's like 50, 51 percent. Yeah, 50 percent. So you own a family farm. OK, J- just to put this into perspective for those that don't understand, you own a family farm, the family of whoever. So your grandfather, your your parents, whatever, whoever passes on your uncle, whoever, whoever passes that land and the rights to that land off to you. You now owe the criminal state 50 percent of your family farm. Yep. Why? What, what did the government do to help you build that farm? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. They're not entitled on, to any of that. On top of that, they they that land has already been taxed anyways over and over and over and over again. And they think they can come in and tax it like that again. Oh, that one. That, that's another one that gives me furious. But mm-hmm. the workaround for the listener, uh, if you didn't already know and you're planning to leave something like trust, you use the trust. That's how you skirt that um, legally skirt it uh-huh. for now. So, yeah, for now, getting back to the story, consider that this dispute has been going on since 2004. It's 2021. <laughs> it's 2004. This thing's been going on. That was Bush. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine how many of your tax dollars the United States Department of Agriculture has spent over the years arguing about mud. Imagine how much the family has had to spend commissioning surveys and filing appeals over a mud puddle, a 10 foot mud puddle. 
Yeah, but keep in mind, this is the same government that's put us and thrown us into a war in a desolate land for 20 years now. Yeah. I mean, it's the same one. So, well, it gets even better because, yeah, it gets even better because you'll hear in just a minute about why that mud puddle is there to begin with. So the Fosters have refused to give in to the absurdity of it all, which is exactly what you would do and exactly what I would do. You'd fight it on principle, and that's what they're doing. The family's requests for reconsideration have been rejected by the USDA, as was their appeal in 2016 to a U.S. Supreme Court or to the U.S. Supreme Court. But the Fosters continue to believe that the federal government should not dictate how a landowner uses their land. And they certainly ought not to be punished with the threat of withholding federal programs other farmers get. Isn't that, isn't that, if, is this America? Are, are we talking about, we're, 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 clearly we're talking about China or Russia here, right? This is, no. this is totally not American. No, I wish we were talking about the sharecroppers, <laughs> you know, the collectivized farming and all the rest. No, we're not. Oh, farming's collectivized here. It is I mean, now, yeah, with big agri. Subsidies yeah, and everything. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So at a time now, this is this is interesting. At a time when family farms are being gobbled up by big agriculture, you'd think Uncle Sam would see the value that the Foster's land, which is about thirteen hundred acres, brings to both them and the surrounding community. Of course, they're providing a service and a product to the surrounding community. They're probably feeding half that town, if not all of it, depending on how big the town is. I was going to say the, the town, maybe even more. Yeah. By any measure. Arlen and Cindy Foster have been good stewards to the property, working it together with their daughter, son-in-law, and six grandchildren. Oh, oh, the humanity of it all. You imagine that? A family, an American family working their own land on their own farm. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? How awful is that? I see you're not picking up on my sarcasm, Bruce. I'm, I'm, I'm really I, trying. I catch your sarcasm. No, I, I'm getting it. I, I'm, I'm picking up what you're laying down, but this kind of stuff angers disgusting. me. It's disgusting. It is. This is... Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That used to read property, by the way. They, they changed yeah. it because they didn't want any slave owner to say, oh, well, slaves are property. The government has no right to come in and, and, and try to do this. They, no, they, they have don't. no authority, no... Uh, our government's bloated. It just... All of this needs to be purged. All of it. BLM, mm-hmm. uh, the, the freaking USDA, FDA, EPA, all of it. Gone. Get rid of it. Education, IRS, all of it. So the Fosters, if you're wondering, they are third generation farmers who raise cattle, corn, soybeans and hay. They practice no till farming and have a long history of conservation efforts dating back to 1900 when Arlen's grandfather, Francis Foster, bought the land with a loan of $1,000. $1,000 in 1900 was a lot of money. I'm going to throw in real quick and say the reason they're doing coin and or coin, corn and soybean, those two Subsidies. are heavily yeah. subsidized. Yeah, you you actually get taxed from the other. You get taxed for the cattle. You get taxed for the hay. Believe yep. me, I know. Yep. And there's a lot of soybeans in the state of Ohio, and there's a lot of corn in the state of Ohio, and those pay. They pay big. Yep. That's also, why. we pay. Also, we pay farmers a lot of money to not grow anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. There was a, a teacher, I think, or something like that in Missouri when I was living there, had a whole bunch of land, and for years he didn't grow anything on the land. And he would just every every once in a while grow a small crop just so he, he stayed legal. And he had the, the government paying him money not to grow anything on the land. And he made far more not farming the land than he actually did farming the land and selling the mm-hmm. produce. Yeah. You know, and that, that's something actually that's been going on with the, uh, the the common agricultural policy in Europe. And Marty was talking about that in the very early days when we were talking about uh, the farming policies and practices in the UK. And he says, because he comes from a, a farming uh, part of the, you know, originally comes from a, a farming community. And he says, we're, we're paying farmers in the UK large 
amounts of money to not grow anything. And we're doing the same thing in the U.S. Let's talk about how the mud puddle got there in the first place. In 1938, as the Dust Bowl era saw farms across the country decimated, Grandfather Francis planted stands of trees to prevent erosion. Now, Bruce, you're from Oklahoma, and that's one of the things that, I mean, that, that state was was decimated back during those times of mm-hmm. the Dust Bowl, right? Uh, all the, the sandstorms and dust storms that blew across the, uh, uh, the Midwestern part of the country and the Western part of the country and absolutely destroyed all that farmland, all of it. We actually had, this is what people don't get. This is really kind of a hidden statistic. We had in America, now mind you, back during the Depression era, because that's what it was, we had in America around... of the population that was in some way self-sufficient. I remember my grandparents telling me that, hell, they'd raise chickens in their backyards. They'd get eggs every morning. They'd have milk delivered if they were lucky. They'd be able to get a loaf of bread if they were lucky. But they relied heavily on those chickens. Not many people do that anymore. Now those numbers are are flipped. Now you've got about 90% of the populace that is not self-sufficient. You've got about 10%, I would argue maybe less, is self-sufficient. Maybe 10% in one way or another, in some ways, it's self-sufficient. That I could go with. Not fully, maybe. But 90%? No. They're, 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 they're getting TV dinners and, and calling up uh, Domino's Pizza. That's what they're doing. Or getting Uber Eats. So, well, I mean, to be fair, that's... I mean, we're not technically self-sufficient here. I mean, true. we know how to be. We can be if uh, an emergency arises, but... You know, mm-hmm. all the all the stuff that you get, you know, the produce and everything, you buy it from the store. You, yeah. you don't have room in your suburban home, you know, to, to grow the, the food you need. True. But what I'm talking about is back during that time in the 30s, suburban homes, you did have that. You, you did have yeah. that. It's just we didn't have it. You know, we, we don't have it these days. But modern conveniences, okay, I get it. You know, we've kind of transitioned out of that. So I understand. The key point I was trying to make with that is... Though we had those kind of numbers of self-sufficiency in the United States during that time, we still had around 10 million people that starved to death during the Depression. That's a hidden statistic. What do you think is going to happen now if we go through another Depression now? I mean, we're, we're, already, start, we're already starting to see inflation and whatnot. I, I seen a, a poll out of Bloomberg that was saying that uh, I think they polled like 2,000 people. Instead of actually running the numbers themselves, they just went and polled people and asked people what they thought was going on. And like 70% of the people there all said that um, groceries are, are increasing in prices. They didn't bother to go in and, and get the numbers themselves, probably because it is pretty egregious. But Well, they put the numbers out a few weeks ago. We talked about it here. 76% is what we're looking at over the next 12 months. No, I mean, currently. What, what, what oh, currently. currently is oh, that? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, currently. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a slow thing, you know, slow rise over the next 12 months, but... What's going to happen at some point is that number is going to go vertical. You know, that that line's going to go vertical. So they, they won't be able to stop it. But anyway. All right. So getting on to the, getting back onto this. The grandfather who purchased the land out there of this mud puddle planted trees to stop the erosion that was happening. So he was able to save the land. So he didn't have to worry about having his land bulldozed and plowed under by the government. And he didn't have to worry about packing his family up and moving out west and, and starting all over. Man been working it for 38 years. So he was going to keep it. So he did what he thought was necessary, and it saved that land. What did that do? Today, those groves of trees are standing large and trap snow during the severe South Dakota winters. The spring melt creates a stream of water that seeps the lowland, thus creating the controversial mud puddle. It's kind of funny how this works, isn't it? Because you plant the trees back then to stop 
Mother Nature from taking your land from you to keep the government off of it. And now those same trees are the ones that are creating the issue to allow the government to come in and seize it and take it from you anyway. It's incredible. I, I mean, I would argue that the government is the problem in this whole scenario to begin with. No argument. No argument. The thing is, though, it's their mud puddle to do with as they please. Uh, and that includes filling it in and planting more corn on it if they so choose. But the problem is, is that they can't. Hence what you just said. The government is the problem. So undaunted, the Fosters recently filed a new federal lawsuit with the U.S. District Court in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. In a nutshell, it declares that the government has overstepped its commerce powers and violated the Fosters' constitutional rights. The suit was filed with assistance from the Pacific Legal Foundation, a nonprofit pro bono group that fights against government overreach and abuse. Good on that nonprofit. At least they're standing up, unlike these disgusting NGOs that are out there by people with the, of the likes of George Soros. So the person writing this article spoke with the foundation's lead attorney, Tony Francois. Even if you're an even if you're an ardent environmentalist, I defy you to look at this puddle and say it's worth the money the feds have and will spend, the attorney said. Francois said it's clear that the USDA made a bad decision way back when and simply can't admit it. What do I always say around here? The government will never admit fault. Never. It's not about the puddle. It's not no. about their conserving land or any of that. This is all about control. This is all about having uh, one more precedent, legal precedent under the belt so that they can come in and... It, it, it basically okays um, uh, land seizures and all that because oh, we have legal precedent already. You know, you and this attorney, Bruce, do you work for this attorney? Do you do? Are you a paralegal? Do you do, you do work with him on the side? <laughs> no. I'm just curious because uh, yeah. because his his line pretty much echoes kind of what you just said. He says the case is really about whether Congress has the power to regulate that mud puddle. If they do, there is no constitutional limit on what they can do. The fact that dirt gets wet, so therefore they can ignore the U.S. Constitution. That's absurd. I, I, I like the cut of his jib. Just saying. It's actually an attorney I like. You know, can you imagine that? Yeah. Yeah, it's rare, but, uh, you know. Now, the USDA was reached out for a, a, a comment on the matter, uh, and they say that they cannot comment on pending litigation. So there, there's nothing that, that can be said about that. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 So, yeah, that is what happens if you have a mud puddle on your property. Bruce, I pulled that just for you. Yeah, and I, I, I greatly appreciate. I thought you would. Honestly, uh, this is this is another reason that I think. Well, it's, it's really just a, a great example of why we need to reduce the size of government. The Commerce Clause, by the way, in the Constitution that they're saying gives the government this power, um, all that that is supposed to do is ensure trade among states. That's it. That's all it does. It gives them no other powers. All right. I don't want to move to COVID stuff just yet. Uh, I would, I'm, I'm enjoying staying away from it, and I'm, I'm happy to talk about things other than that. So I'm trying my damnedest to stay away from it. So I want to jump to something that you put up, and you and I were kind of tossing around here before we started. We would spoke a couple of weeks ago on this new substance. Well, it's not new substance, but there are some of us that have been watching it for a good number of years now, but it's just now starting to become mainstream. And I think it's scaring the hell out of the elites just a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about good. graphene. Yeah, it, yeah, good. I want to talk about graphene. And you've come up or you've pulled something that's I found was actually fascinating because I've heard of them combining graphene and lithium to create stronger and longer lasting batteries. I've heard of that. And there are companies that are doing that now. But you're saying that there is a company now that has 
decided that they're going to start combining graphene with, and Marty's going to kill me and all of our UK listeners are going to kill me, uh, aluminum, aluminium, excuse me for our UK listeners. I I do know the difference. Yeah, it, it is spelled different. I do know the difference in pronunciation, so I'm, I'm not doing it to spite you. Uh, I'd just like to clear that up. But graphene with uh, aluminum, how does this work? Uh, well, how it works, that's a good question, because I, I, I don't even fully understand the, the mechanics behind it. I haven't read that far into uh, what it's doing. But basically, to put it in a, a nutshell, they're using it with, let's see, it looks like the aluminum is the they're using those as the electrode or uh it looks like so it, it they're basically saying when a aluminum ion battery is recharged the the aluminum returns to a negative electrode and it 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 swaps the three um electrons basically so basically so, what, what you're saying is the gist of this is is that graphene combined with aluminum is going to be better than graphene combined with lithium. So yeah, basically they're they're using aluminum as the catalyst or the um, uh, electron exchanger instead of lithium, and they're basically predicting that it's going to be sixty times faster than lithium ion. They're they're already talking about having uh, the small like watch size batteries um by the end of this year uh, is what they're hoping for um but they're going to reach full production um like the the automotive cells you know for cars and whatnot by 2024 so full production by by 2024 2025 somewhere in that range um it looks like uh let's see here they're saying that the uh testing by a peer reviewed specialist publication uh, advanced functional materials concluded that the cells had outstanding, outstandingly high uh, rate of formants, surpassing all previously reported AIB cathode materials. If you employ something like this in, say, I don't know, um, a mobile phone, for example, right now we have lithium-ion batteries that are powering these devices. I mean, that seems to be the uh, the thing at the moment. But if those were to be replaced, I mean, right now you're looking at I don't know, depending on the phone you have and how much you use it and what you do with it, anywhere between less than a day to, hell, I can get four or five days out of mine, uh, sometimes more, uh, depending on what you do with it. But if you have something like this and say, for, for example, like a mobile phone, you charge it up maybe, I don't know, once a month, once every couple of months. It's not. So I'm not sure if it's the capacity necessarily that's bigger, but the rate of charge. So the, um, the coin sized uh, cells that they're talking about. So it's it's a little bigger than a, a watch battery. The button cells. Uh, yeah, uh, they're they're saying that they can charge those in ten seconds. Um, they're ten they're seconds. talking about ten seconds. They're saying that when you look at um, lithium ion batteries, twenty percent of the battery cell, uh, specifically in vehicles, is just to cool the lithium ion battery. Whereas these, they may not need cooling at all, nor heating. So the entirety of it will be the casing and the battery. And that's it. Like no heating or cooling elements in there uh, for the the battery's life. I mean, we're talking about aluminum and graphene, both of which are very stable metals at uh, a a large temperature range. I mean, aluminum is pretty resistant uh, to heat, relatively speaking. It's a, we use them in heat sinks and all that, uh, you know, so it has a fairly low, like it, it melts before steel, I believe, but after, you know, lead and lithium and those. So 
it's not going to reach 200 degrees Fahrenheit and then burst into flames like the lithium ion batteries do currently. And that's that's basically what it is. I mean, if you get anywhere around these batteries, I mean, everybody knows when you charge one of these devices, whether that's a laptop or an iPod or an iPhone or, or an Android phone or whatever, anything that has a lithium ion battery in it, there's a lot of heat there. As a matter of fact, some of these things get so hot, like laptops, for example, that they actually have these aftermarket coolers that you can put on underneath of them mm-hmm. to cool them down. That's not necessarily the battery, though, in those cases. I mean, you know, the well, computers yes. themselves. Chipset and all generate, that rest of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. But, but the batteries in cars, for example, I mean, hell, let's be honest. All you're doing when you're creating an electric car, you're putting like a 1,200 laptop batteries in it. That's all you're doing with it. Yeah, basically, yeah. So what what what, it, what they're saying here with these tests, um, so far in testing, the, the cells have continued functioning below zero, well below zero. Um, they don't give us a specific on what temperature that they've tested so far below zero. Um, nonetheless, below zero and having it function close to what it was at, at room temperature, that's that's very impressive. They're also saying that uh, 80 kilograms of a 100 kilowatt battery pack is just for heating and cooling. 80, that's like, isn't that like 100 pounds, 100 and some pounds, like 100 and I have to look that up. Real quick. Uh, roughly, it's 2.2 pounds per kilo. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, probably closer to 170, it's, 180. Yeah, something like that. It's it's off just a little bit. I don't know why, but it's just what it is. But it, even even if it's just 150 pounds, if you can get rid of the healing, heating and cooling elements in a car, that's 150 more pounds of battery you could have in there. How much more charge are you going to be able to get out of that? Or for that matter, even if you kept the same charge, just make it smaller, make it light the vehicle lighter. The highest model Tesla right now, uh, or their model, um, their Model S or whatever it is, I'm not sure, whatever the one that's affordable to everybody, that's like 60 grand uh, that they're going to try and reduce. That has like 350 miles of range. Is that correct? 350 to 500. Yeah. 350 to 500. The model. Can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine if you had a 2000 mile range in a car made by graphene or 5,000 mile range, whatever. I mean, I, we're, and th- that might sound crazy, but that's the kind of technology we're talking about here. Yeah. The, if the battery is able to store more energy than the, the lithium counterpart, even if it's not, even let, just, just for the sake of argument, let's say it's, it's the same capacity as a lithium ion battery. It takes you about an hour to, to charge your vehicle to 80% uh, at, at one of the fast charging stations for, for a Tesla. So 45 minutes to an hour. With this, divide that by 60. That, 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 that's how much time it would take you. So essentially the same amount of time it takes you to fill it up with gasoline. That's how, that's how long it would take to recharge your, your car's battery. Now, see, I mean, now that's we're a talking. huge advancement. Yeah. Now, now we're talking. Now we're talking. Now, now you have me interested in a car like that. This, this stuff that they're talking about now, and don't get me wrong, Tesla makes a fantastic car and that's not a, that's not yanking on Elon Musk's chain either. He's built a great product. I don't care what you think about him. He's built a great product, considering what he's got to work with. That's more than I can say for, oh, I don't know, Government Motors, for example. Yeah, that's more than I can say for that. That government-owned subsidiary. What was it, that Volt or whatever it was? Yeah, whatever. That, what out. a disgrace yeah. that was. It cost about a hundred and something thousand to make each one of those things. They were selling for 30 grand. There were, there were dealerships over here that had to destroy them because they were just sitting on lots by the thousands. No one would buy them. So I mean, it's a it's it was a, a joke. battery operated it's a battery operated coffin. Well, yeah, there was a one in I think it was like a what like a one in six chance that every time you turn the key, the thing would explode on you. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's the government for you. But no, this this kind of thing here, this is what really 
this is what really gets me interested because regardless of, of what you think, like I said, Elon Musk and Tesla, they made a great car and they still make a great car. But these other things that they're talking about, these other manufacturers, all this stuff that they're talking about pushing out, all these electric cars that you're going to own and you're going to be happy about it if they allow you to own them, that's not the future. That's that's not advancement in technology. That's old technology that they've given cosmetic surgery to. They brought it up to the modern age. That's all they've done. Yeah. They've improved it a little bit as far as like battery capacity and stuff. But let's look at lithium mining. These are the same people that are talking about your carbon footprint and the Green New Deal and environmentalism and all the rest of it. No, 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 no. Lithium mining is extremely, extremely dirty. And then, of course, you have to refine all of that. There again is another problem. Then you have to ship it, whether that's by rail or by ship or whatever. That has to be done. There's another carbon footprint. Then you have to assemble it. There's another carbon footprint. Then you have to take it to wherever it is you're going to sell it. That's another carbon footprint. So is it really saving the environment? And then, of course, the battery packs. Let's talk about those. The current cars, the current electric cars that are out there, the battery packs are good for anywhere between five and seven years, they say, roughly, at which time you'll have to replace the packs. Two things wrong with that. One, cost. It costs you just about as much to replace those battery packs as it will to buy a new car. Two, disposal. What are you supposed to do with that waste? Tell me how that helps the environment. So the concept of graphene, the, the sky's the limit with that as far as I can see at the moment. Though a lot of the stuff is theoretical still, not the, not the actual product itself. That's, we're already seeing that. But I'm talking about other things here. This is something that's going to change everything. Bruce, you and I were looking at a graphene jacket the other day. This is going to change everything. Your clothes will be made from this stuff. Everything. All this stuff. Like everything we have. Our entire civilization is going to change because of this stuff. This is what the elites call a disruptive technology. Why do you think they have a war on carbon? What is graphene? Graphene is carbon. That's the future. They don't control it. Once it gets out into the free market, it's lights out for the elite. There's nothing they can do with it. They can't stop it. There's no way. So everything will change based on that. So I'm curious about the graphene cars, and I'm going to be more curious about the graphene homes that we're going to build. And when I say graphene homes, what do I mean by that? Well, this stuff is not only a source of storing energy, it's also a, how'd you call it? A super semiconductor, more or less? So it's it's technically based on uh, the material and everything. It, it's technically a semiconductor. However, in practice, it's more akin to a superconductor because of the honeycomb pattern that the atoms take being at one atom thick, uh, it allows electrons to travel through there as if it was a superconductor. Now, the, the reason that's important is this is a at this is stable at room temperature superconductor. A lot of the other ones that we use are like um, hydrogen. Um, you freeze hydrogen. You, you take it to like negative 200 and something degrees Fahrenheit, and it turns into a metal at that temperature. Um, basically, it's hydrogen ice. But it's a superconductor at that uh, as, as a metal. The problem is, is keeping it a metal. Whereas this, room temperature, sub-zero temperatures, uh, above 100 degrees, 200 degrees, it's still a superconductor. So that, that's kind of revolutionary, at least for transmitting speed. Um, I was looking at the, the density of these batteries compared to lithium ion. They don't quite have the power density there. So but uh, lithium also, ion. But the, the multipurpose aspect of it, though, is what intrigues me the most is, is it's so versatile. You can yeah. like everything's going to change. We will not have silicon based microchips anymore. Those will go away. The, the LCDs that we have, the panels we have, the, the, the LED panels we have, all that will go away. All of it. That's that's to be replaced. It'll all be phased out. 
All the new stuff will come in. All, all of our phones. Yeah, eventually. All of our phones, all of our smartphones, everything that's in the smartphone, all of it will be replaced. All of it. It will all go away. It'll be uh, better. Well, if if things are allowed to continue progressing, yes. That, yes. That, yeah, that's yeah. the thing is you have to get these slugs out of the way. But yeah. But more than that, circling back to the environmental side of things, I talked about the disposal of batteries. You know, that's the problem you, is you're looking at the same thing with solar, solar and wind. You can't dispose of solar panels. There's like, oh, solar, wind, solar, wind, solar. Give me a break with that solar and wind garbage. Again, old technology. They've just brought it up to the new age. That technology is at its limit. Solar panel technology. It will not go any further because we're kind of restricted about that orange ball in the sky. We're, we're kind of restricted on that. So, I mean, we, we can only take in so much. So those panels are kind of restricted as to what they can do. So that technology will not advance much further. So you need something else. But you can't recycle that. You, you can't repurpose the solar panels. Once it's out, the damage is done. That's it. You're stuck with it. If those panels get destroyed, I mean, that's just that, that's toxic to, to the earth. So where's their their great sense of environmentalism when it comes to that? Well, look at graphene. Graphene can literally be repurposed back into itself. How much more green can you get than that? I mean, to produce graphene, you can recycle plastics to begin with. Yes. I mean, so and then uh, aluminum, remelt it down. I mean, aluminum yep. is, is uh, you know, easily reusable in that in that sense. So the, the materials that we know of so far that they're using in the in this um, are easily recyclable. Obviously, not knowing all the components in there. We don't know everything is recyclable, but the, the major components of it, easily recyclable. You know, I heard the theory about uh, what this will do to homes when we start building homes with it. I did mention that. Right now, we're very early days of 3D printing houses. You can 3D print concrete. We're, we're to that point now. They have the little concrete nozzles. You can put it into a like a CAD program or something or, or whatever, mm -hmm. and it will go into the 3D printer and it will print what you need. So we're able to do that. However, we're not able to do the other things. But if you that, that you were talking about as far as like putting in atomized layers of, of graphene, we can't do that yet. We're, the technology is just not there yet, but it will come. But if you can impregnate concrete with graphene, you have built in heating and cooling systems. The home itself will become its own ecosystem, more or less. It'll take care of itself. You imagine not being connected to the grid or if you just have a couple of panels up there to charge up whatever you need. That's yeah. all you'd need. That's literally graphene. all you need. Solar panels with graphene. I mean, if we can utilize oh. it for solar panels, the, the graphene is not... The, the thing about graphene is it's it's a superconductor. It's very thermally resistant and yep. it's a thermal conductor. And it is stronger than steel. It's like a thousand times stronger than steel uh, as far as tensile strength. And it's highly abrasive resistant. Uh, again, greater than steel. Uh, the only caveat with the material is it, it's only one atom thick. So you have to layer it to get the same kind of, you know, it'll, basically you would have to make it a composite material to use it as like a steel I-beam, for example. It, to do the same thing with graphene, it would have to be a, a, a composite material. So you would have to have a layer of graphene, something in between, and then another layer of graphene and, and continue that process to, to meet the same thing. It's also flexible like titanium. I mean, so it's like, this is like the wonder material, that the space material. This is the stuff that will propel us into the future. It's crazy. And I was reading papers here the other day talking about uh, university papers that were using graphene for some plasma tech um, for fusion reactors. They're already using graphite for fusion reactors, but graphene using it for cloaking technology, like active camo. 
they were talking about uh there was another use for it as well and it's it slipped my mind i don't have the paper in front of me but is this the like a few years back the german scientific community uh discovered hydrogen plasma what what about incorporating graphene with that type of technology so they they already um use graphite uh for uh fusion reactors um they use it for like the um uh, shielding it, it, it's you know graphite has similar properties to graphene graphene is just a, a super, you know, the big brother of graphite, if you will. So they, they already used it as both heat shielding and kind of a radiation shielding. So if they're able to incorporate uh, graphite in this and, and somehow um, utilize it that way, I mean, you mean graphene? They, they're already, huh? or graphene, you mean graphene. Yes. Yeah, yeah, if they utilize graphene for this, uh, I mean, theoretically, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what they're doing to, you know, use it with plasma technology, but Supposedly, uh, this battery we were talking about, uh, this company that the article's writing on, GMG is the, the abbreviation, their technique for producing graphene is they use some kind of proprietary plasma process, which simply means it, it could be the one that we were talking about, how they just take uh, like plastics, put it in a tube, and then shoot, uh, it was something like 5,000 volts or something, like a huge amount of electricity through there instantly and lightning is plasma right it, it causes plasma in the atmosphere when when a lightning strikes similar thing here you you send a large amount through there it creates a plasma state of whatever the material was and it cools into graphene so that that's kind of the process they were using and it, to, to you know um, condense what they were doing. The problem at the moment is you, you ask, well, it's been around, it's been discovered, and the people that discovered it won a Nobel Prize. Where is it? Well, it's coming, but the technology isn't quite there yet for us to mass produce. There's a lot of companies and private sectors that are out there looking to try and mass produce this stuff now. But the problem is, is that it, right at the moment, it takes a lot of energy to do that, as like you're talking about. It takes a lot of energy to do that. And the second thing is there's a, let me see the second way that they've discovered that you could mass produce it uh, it's not environmentally sound uh, it requires a lot of toxic chemicals and they i mean it's kind of counterproductive so you don't want to do that so that defeats the purpose of that so that's pretty much shut off because any type of environmental regulations you have and believe me i mean not all environmental regulations are communistic <laughs> so i mean you have to you have to take care of the environment as best you can um, and if it's going to be like that then no we're going to have to find another way so the other way that i was uh, that i I had heard about, and I think that you talked on it before, was a process now where they can break it down in a matter of seconds, but it can't be done on a mass scale. But I suspect over time that we'll figure out a way. Honestly, if they're in the process now, I mean, you have to start somewhere. There's companies now that are making graphene batteries that are combining them with lithium ion. And if you say that there's another company now that's kind of bringing this all together, you say there's another company now that are doing this with aluminum, then that's the starting point, right? That's that's the place to begin. If we can extend battery life and we can start phasing out lithium and, and get out of the nickel business, then that's a plus. That's a plus. That's that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, the it's graphene manufacturing group is the uh the company that they're with. And they're saying that there is a lot of other companies out there that are doing it. This one specifically just had a proprietary plasma, um, whatever. Um, kind of bad news on this front because, you know, we can't give you all good news on this. Um, oh, come on, Bruce. I China. was good not being pessimistic. <laughs> well, China is involved in the research of this. Of course they are. Um, yeah, the uh, Chinese, uh, see, Chinese um, Dalian University of Technology and the uh, Zhejiang, uh, uh, I'm, I'm probably botching it. I apologize. 
uh-huh. the University Department of Polymer Science. Yeah, well, we kind of expected that. See, the Chinese believe and the Western elites believe that the 21st century belongs to them and not us. So yeah, yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do something about that. But to be fair, that's only two of the universities involved. You you also have like Nebraska, Cornell, Clemson, mm-hmm. uh, Stanford. And, the and there's European no way there's no industry. way yeah. that the Chinese Communist Party would be involved in American academia. There's no, no, no way. Of course not. No, 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 th- no. That that would that that would be the case. There's no way that they would ever. I don't know. Get their hands on, say, like for example, like a deadly pathogen or something, and and mess with it in their own laboratory. There's no way that, that would happen ever. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it, of course. And then. Never. And of course, there's no way that anyone from the U.S. government would ever aid them using American academia to to foster that type of a, a thing. Nor yeah, it, nor it, American taxpayer dollars. Not no, that would no, never happen. Of course not. No, I, I mm-hmm. can't imagine that it would. No. And of course, who are we talking about? The sainted Dr. Anthony Fauci. Yeah, this the, the man who just did everything that I mentioned. He says that. He's now not convinced that COVID-19 developed naturally. Believe me, I'm just as shocked as you are. I, I, I don't know. I, honestly, I'm, I'm like the, the king of flip-flops and he gets praised for his flip-flops. Uh-huh. And now he has called for an open investigation into the virus origins. Okay. Why would he, why would he do that? His fingerprints are all over this. So one of two things is going on here. Either one... He's being a stupid politician saying, yeah, I'm not cheating on my wife. And then the paparazzi goes and finds that he is actually cheating on his wife and has a mistress. Uh-huh. Or this is a scenario to where they were able to purge the paper trail. Or, well, I guess I guess there but could you, be a third one. And they just have the, quote unquote, right people investigating. Uh, yeah, kind of like they did at the World Health it, Organization. The guy that yeah. actually funneled the money through EcoHealth Alliance, the CEO of EcoHealth Alliance, was the guy that was also the investigator at the World Health Organization. They did all they could, though. I mean, they, they grilled them as best they could. And what more could they do? Yeah. And they, they felt as though the answers were, were truthful and solid. Yeah. They, they basically just trusted China. They, 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 that they wouldn't lie. Yeah. There is a lot of cloudiness around the origins of COVID-19 still, so I wanted to ask, are you still confident that it developed naturally? That was a question asked by PolitiFact's Katie Sanders, asking the nation's top infectious disease expert in the event. He says, no, actually, I am not convinced about that. I think we should continue to investigate what went on in China until we continue to find out to the best of our ability what happened. Well, I can save you the trouble. I can tell you what happened. Congressman Jim Jordan can save you the trouble. He can tell you what happened. Senator Rand Paul can save you the trouble. He can tell you what happened. We've had multiple papers that we've read uh, that have said what happened. Yeah. Or or at least theorized what happened. We've had billionaires that are egomaniacal that have said exactly what happened. We saw the funding. We saw the funding of what happened. We saw the names of the people who were involved with the funding for what happened. We saw the institutions that oversaw the exchange of money and the transfer of the pathogens. They know what happened. So therefore, we know what happened. But we don't know what happened. But we don't know what happened. Yeah, he he goes on to say, certainly the people who investigated it. Yeah, investigate. Yeah, the World Health Organization, your buddy Peter Dasik. Yeah, that, that's who that's who investigated. Yeah, OK. Certainly the people who investigated it say it likely was the emergence from an animal reservoir that then oh. infected individuals. But it could have been something else. And we need to find that out. 
So, you know, that's the reason why I said I'm perfectly in favor of any investigation that looks into the origin of the virus. And they'll have just the right people to investigate, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, OK, so, uh, I mean, we played what Senator Rand Paul said last week. He says, will you in front of this group categorically say that COVID-19, that the COVID-19 virus could not have occurred by serial passage in a laboratory? And he, he says, I don't have any accounting of what the Chinese may have done. Uh, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Then he goes on to say that they did not fund any gain of function research. <laughs> he just perjured himself right then and there. Well, technically, they didn't themselves. OK, they did it so through EcoHealth Alliance. Uh, it's the same it, damn exactly. thing. I, yeah, <sighs> it is to us. But when you get into the legal legality legal side of, of things. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. All right. Anyway, that's Fauci. He's now calling for an investigation into the origins of it. Okay, whatever. Uh, you, uh, you don't. It's case closed, in my humble opinion. Uh, it, it's so sketch. Like all of a sudden, you're flip flopping and saying, "Yeah, let's investigate it." When you were saying, "Oh, there was nothing. There was nothing there," and now it, there, there's something there to investigate. It, it's like what what changed? The the science mm -hmm. certainly hasn't changed. No. Senator Rand Paul, we were talking last week on the number of people in the houses of Congress that were vaccinated. Well, Senator Rand Paul is not. By the way, Senator Rand Paul is a medical doctor, so he knows exactly what he's talking about. And he understands how this stuff works. So if anything, he's not fooled. Also, in part, Rand Paul was one of the very first to be infected, although he was asymptomatic, you know, one of those pesky asymptomatic cases. He was the first. And of course, he was perfectly fine. He went home self-isolated and all the rest of it. And he made a full recovery. And he has said, I'm not getting vaccinated. Those are his exact words. He says, until they show me evidence that people who have already had the infection are dying in large numbers or being hospitalized or getting very sick, I just made my own personal decision that I'm not getting vaccinated because I have already had the disease and I have natural immunity. And uh, like the doctor we watched, um, I figure what his name is. Uh, the, the video Michael we had on Michael Yaden. Uh, he was saying that uh, the SARS-1 virus, if you had it, it has an 80% similarity to SARS-CoV-2. And you have immunity from SARS-CoV-2 because of your infection from SARS-1. Um, why then would we suspect... Oh, and he also said it was 20 to 30 years uh, minimum of, of um, immunity versus that virus, yes, if not your that, entire life. And we've seen no large-scale reinfection of the current one. Yep, exactly. Even with all these different strains and everything they're saying. Um, so there's no... I, I, I don't know why we would be thinking... Uh, you get naturally infected, why your your immunity would last for such a short period of time. Your your body stores that information. Like, it, it, it remembers these things. It's No, it, it's all smoke and mirrors. I, I, I agree with you. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you, but... It's all yeah. smoke and mirrors. Everything hinges upon the testing and the cycling of that testing on that PCR test. Yeah. That's all it is. So they can well, yeah. they can spin it at whatever they need and then say, oh, well, you're positive, but you're asymptomatic. So you need, you know, this. And they can, in theory, if people stop looking, through, if people stop being such a pain in the ass to them, in theory, if they had nothing but a bunch of uh, sheep out there, they could continue this indefinitely, in theory. Theoretically, yeah. The I mean, they're already trying to start that uh trend or going that direction with uh uh california la county uh their their uh health director whatever there has said yeah 40 of the cases um that we've had here which is like half um they said it was the uh uk strain 
of uh, coronavirus, which is the the deadly uh, triple uh, black fungus, tri- triple mutant variant. Yeah. is what the, they're saying. Here. Yeah. By the way, uh, we, we've we've mentioned on here before. Uh, GP specifically um, brought it up that um, every time a virus mutates, um, typically it becomes weaker. It it, it yeah. becomes less uh, uh, virulent. Well, not necessarily violent. Well, uh, but the lethality drops. Yeah, the, the lethality yeah. drops. And we're already yeah. looking at a at what like a ninety nine point seven on average across all age groups as it is now. So, yeah. so it, that's going to. Every time well, it mutates, it's going to drop even more. But now they're doing everything they can with like black fungus and all the rest of it. Technically, by the CDC and WHO's numbers, technically, it's it's you have a ninety nine point eight five percent chance of surviving. But well, Bruce, vaccines make you more attractive. Didn't you know that? Yeah. So uh, I kind of knew this was coming. Uh, this one was I, I've seen an article on here, um, uh, like dating apps like Tinder and whatnot are. Uh, now having a, a their own little spot to say whether this, somebody's been vaccinated or not on their can app. We, can we hear it directly from the experts themselves? Now let's hear it. Here's one for you. According to one of the sites, OkCupid, people who display their vaccination status are 14% more likely to get a match. We have finally found the one thing that makes us all more attractive, a vaccination. These dating apps will now allow vaccinated people to display Badges, which show their vaccination status, filter specifically to see only people who are vaccinated and offer premium content, details of which I cannot get into. But apparently they include things like boosts and super swipes. The apps will also help people locate places to get vaccinated. All right. Got through that. Yeah, you got through that. Uh, By the way, the people that are behind him, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci was one of them. Also, CDC director Rochelle Walensky, they are... I don't know if they realized that they were still on camera or not, but they are laughing. They're, they're laughing when he's talking about that. They, they know how much of a joke this is. You know, Bruce, you said something the other day. If it looks like a duck, it sounds like a duck. It walks like a duck. It's probably a duck. Yeah. If it looks like a cult, it sounds like a cult, behaves like a cult. Guess what? It's probably a cult. Yeah, Uh I have, um, see, I, I'm not on, in the online dating world because, nah, screw that. Um I've never liked online dating, uh, no, but that's that, that, that's that's me. Uh, but hearing from people that are in the online dating world, uh, they're saying that before they even started changing the apps and whatnot, even even during COVID and whatnot, people were uh, posting in their bios whether whether or not they had been vaccinated. And if you hadn't been vaccinated, it was uh, pretty much you want to get laid, you have to have a vaccine, basically, is what it, Facebook what it was running to. the thing. Yeah, Facebook was running that thing for a while. I don't, they probably still are about, uh, well, if you can get these vaccine selfies, you can get the little banner for your, your profile yeah. picture that says, oh, I'm going uh, to get one. I don't have one yet. Yeah, no, I, I don't need the virtue signal like that. Um, no, the, the thing is, is if, if your relationship hinges upon whether or not you've been vaccinated, why the hell are you in that relationship to begin with? I'd be running as fast as I could. Like I, I'd be saying, "Look here, delete my number. I don't care where you got it. Just can't, yeah. don't even call me. Yeah, just get yeah. away from me." I heard a story about somebody that was dating this girl before COVID, and then, of course, COVID hit, and they were still together, and of course, all that stuff. But the masks became such a thing that 
I mean, li- listen to this. Uh, this is again, I don't know who this is. This is a story that I had heard somebody telling on a podcast of their own personal experience. They had a friend of theirs who was seeing this girl and it was a really great relationship. They were they were getting along really well and uh, and everything was just fantastic. Right. It was just one of those where you, you just had the you know, the chemistry was just working and, and there was no problems. Then COVID hit. The girl invited him over to her parents' house for dinner. They were wearing masks in the house. And after dinner, no, of course, he didn't do it. And after dinner, they all sat around and everything. They're all in masks and he's not. And so they all part ways, you know, thanks for coming over, you know, all that stuff. And the next day she calls him and says, listen, uh, my parents really like you. They, they think you're great, but and you know what's coming. But they said if you're going to be in their house from here on out or, and if you're going to be around me, then you are going to have to wear a mask. And his response to that was, don't ever call me again. And he hung up the phone. Uh, on, on multiple le- uh, levels there, uh, that's a problem. Uh, first of all, um, if you're an adult, why are you still adhering to the decrees of your parents? Do they <laughs> have that to- much control over your life? <laughs> that's the first problem. Second problem, they're mandating a mask. Uh, yeah, I'd be doing the same thing. Just either one of those is enough to say, See you later. Yeah, but yeah. both of them at the same time. No, that relationship wasn't that great. <laughs> no, no, I, I wouldn't be anywhere near that. Uh, that's that is that's cult behavior is what that is. That's exactly what that is. Yeah. If you're not going to be one of us, then we can't have you around us. And they've done the same thing now with these vaccines. Oh, you know, you, you can't you can't be around us if if you are. They're, they're ignoring the fact of what vaccination science and I'm talking about real vaccination science actually is. If, in fact, you are vaccinated, which let's be honest, that's not what these things are, but yet they're calling them that. But if vaccination science is something that they say that they're following, which they believe that they are, then by that decree, you should be protected more than an unvaccinated person. Your immune system should be flourishing. If that's the case, you should be protected. That's the idea of vaccines. That's what they're designed to do. You're safe from the unvaccinated as a vaccinated person. That's the idea. When you go to a foreign country in certain places, a lot of those countries suggest they don't require They suggest that you get vaccinated. If you go to some of these places like and they've been doing this for decades, you go to some of these places in like Southeast Asia or in Africa or something like that. You probably want to get vaccinated for certain things if you haven't been. So like yellow fever and you know, all, all that nasty stuff, right? You, you probably want to get vaccinated for that stuff. Well, you're required to in some cases, like you're not Are you required come back to? to the country. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. You're not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, regardless, I guess that just further proves my point is the idea there is, is that you're protecting yourself from what you might encounter from either other people or what you might encounter in nature that could do you harm. So you're protecting yourself. That's what that's designed to do. But again, that's a traditional vaccine. That's not what this is, but yet they're calling it that. But even so, even if it was a traditional vaccine in that manner, then you should be protected. But again, that's science. That's that's science based. That's that's data based. That's that's logic. That's common sense. All that's out the window. Yeah. Bottom line, you're vaccinated. You're supposed to be safe from all this. But what was that uh, we were talking about here recently? Um, baseball players were getting infected, even though they had a vaccine. Bill Maher got infected. Mm-hmm. Some other high profiles. 232 oh, deaths of people that tested positive for COVID-19, according to the CDC, that were fully vaccinated. Yes. 
Yeah, uh, we, we said it from the beginning when when you went to their website uh, for the vaccines. I don't know if this is still the case, but when we reported on it, it was the case. The the websites that uh, manufactured the vaccines were all saying the, va- the vaccines weren't vaccines. They were actually therapeutics because it didn't provide immunity. It, it reduced the symptoms that you would you would have if uh, you, 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 you got COVID. That was their stance. Hence the top ups. So they're able to continue it and keep it going. Yeah, that's that's the idea. So if they continue to to leverage the PCR tests, well, then that justifies. Well, that's if you catch it. But what about those that catch it? Well, no, no. See, that doesn't matter anymore either. No, see, they've redefined what herd immunity is. Yeah. Yeah. They're grasping at straws here. India demands that social media networks remove references to India variant of COVID. So authorities in India are now demanding that social media networks remove references to the India variant. New Delhi's information technology ministry is claiming that mentions of the India mutant strain are misleading and without basis because there is no scientific reason to link it to India. Well, gee whiz, I thought it was the damn apocalypse over there. Burning bodies by the hundreds of thousands or whatever it is they're saying. I mean, hell, that's that's all over German TV. Yeah, that's all over German TV. You and I saw, I played that for you. You and I saw it. It's it's ridiculous what they're telling people here. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. And then we've also had video of people from India going, hey, um, we, we don't have bodies in the street. It's life is normal here. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the media is lying to you. We've also seen the fabricated videos from other countries that were supposed to be horrible. Uh, was it South America, I think, is one of them. And they, they go out there in a, a Tyvek suit and, and was it uh, you know, a mask. And, was, was it Brazil? <laughs> Brazil. Yeah. They were, they uh, were, yeah, they were speaking Portuguese. And, and the guy's standing. He's got, his, he's got his cell phone. He's standing up the hill of the cemetery looking around a tombstone. And you can see the people like running the camera and everything. Like they, they got it up there on a tripod. And you can see him saying action, you know, hitting the little clip. <laughs> <laughs> the little yep. clip thing and he starts shoveling the dirt into the open grave <laughs> yeah so we we know it was well and then we had the you you remember the hysteria that started uh, kicked all this off in china how there was you know bodies in the street and people were dying falling over yeah. dead and whatnot yeah, because yeah. of covid in the beginning uh-huh. well it turns out it was it was the homeless there people were getting kicked out of their apartments and out of their places uh, of living because they were sick or because they were afraid of of the sickness. So, mm-hmm. so um, the Indian authorities are now jumping on, are now jumping in and saying, uh, "You need to stop all this hysteria. All of you media companies, all of you social media companies, you got to stop this because that's not what's actually going on." Their own authorities are saying that. They released a statement. They said, "It has come to our knowledge that a false statement is being circulated online, which implies that an Indian variant." of coronavirus is spreading across the countries. This is completely false. What's the UK now doing? The health secretary, Matt Hancock, he had a slip up the other day. He was on live TV and he says, uh, we're watching this India variant and we know that this might cause a little bit of a problem. That's why we cre- uh, caught it uh, in, in just the right amount of time. Uh-huh. Yeah, you slipped up there on live TV, pal. Freudian slip. Yeah. So now, of course, they're having crackdowns in in the UK. Oh, you can't go here. You can't cross from this town into Scotland. You got to shut the Scottish border. You got the German government saying that the UK is now a variant region itself. So that's going to become the new India because India didn't work. So now you need to cook it up somewhere else. They're running the same script over and over again. You remember it was Brazil? Then it was, South, or excuse me, first it was South Africa, then it was Brazil, 
Then it was India. Now it's the UK. The German government barred UK tourism indefinitely as of today. They're running the same script over and over again. So now they'll start cooking up some stuff in the UK. They'll lock the UK back down so they can cook it up like they did before. And they'll start all over again. That's all they're doing. They're just jumping around from place to place to place, from country to country to country, spreading the fear through the media, through social media, to keep you in panic so they can continue to loot and bring the economies down. That's all they're doing. That is all they're doing. They're keeping the economy shut so they can channel the money through select corporations to shut you down and to collapse us. That's it. That's all that's happening here. If they open the economies, inflation gets out of control and they lose control and they go down with it. They have to keep the economies closed. They have to keep that money channeled and they have to be able to control it. History shows they're smart enough to understand. History shows that when you have runaway inflation, the whole system collapses and most of the corporations go down with the ship. They can't have that if they're going to have stakeholder capitalism. The corporations have to survive. The big ones. The government sanctioned, even even under that scenario, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure that having that collapse isn't what they want. Because keep in mind, this is also a Marxist idea of reforging the world that they want through yeah, fire. But they have. Yeah, you're, you're correct. But they have to be able to be in a position to grab control and they don't have it yet. The populist movement and the backlash of what's common is still I think it's still enough to scare them. Uh, and so th they need to make sure that they can clamp down when they need to. And they don't even so look at it from a logistical standpoint. Just that alone. Let's say that you want to hype up this whatever. You're going to take this UK triple mutant black folks. <laughs> I'm having trouble saying that with a straight face. It's ridiculous. You want to take that and you want to now merge it with the UK, create another uh, hype of fear and, and all that stuff, and then shut everything down. The EU mainland, you can't do that logistically. They don't have the manpower to do that. They don't have it. They don't have the, the manpower to, to lock everything down. You don't have uh, enough police. You don't have enough military here. I mean, hell, the Germans spend 4% of their GDP on national defense. You don't have the, the resources here to be able to do that. The only thing they have is fear. If they can keep people scared, that's, all, that's how they're able to do this now. If everybody just said, go to hell, we're going to open and we're going to live our lives. We don't care what you have to say. There's nothing they can do. Nothing. They need fear somewhere. And that's all they've got. Again, that's the reason I think that, of course, they're they're shutting down the protests. Uh, they're they're sicking the police on the people that are out there protesting the lockdowns. Yet they've got police guarding the pro-Palestine protests or, or whatever, because they don't have the numbers to equal the people that are out there in the streets protesting the government. So they need another client group to show the struggle. They need something. This is cultural Marxism. That's what they need. And they don't have it. So they need mobs for hire all across the board, as many as they can get. They can't pull off BLM here. They're here, but they're in very small numbers. You can't play that card. So they need something else. Why not exploit a war that's been going between, you know, two tribes of people for thousands of years? I mean, it's, all it's, doing. it's readily available to them. It's all they're doing. And we, we already have wars in the Middle East currently. I mean, that's still going on. I didn't realize how active it still was over there, uh, the, the stuff that we're doing until watching some videos from that. Uh, I mean, they're a few years old, granted, uh, because you, you you as a civilian don't get access to those kind of things um, right away. But nonetheless, we're, we're still over there in the Middle East. I mean, yeah, and we talked about it, what Israel was uh, what was going on with Israel and um, Gaza Strip. Um, I don't know. They, I, honestly, it, it, it looks like they're trying to gin up another war or, or at least 
the image there, as you're saying, to to exploit this. Yeah, again. yeah, yeah. And they need to do something to distract ahead of Cyber Polygon that's happening here in uh here in, here in about a month. So they need something to do that. Uh, and then July if they 9th. can July 9th, yeah. So I, I, honestly, I'd like to sit down and watch that uh, this time around, see how that's going to go. But uh, anyway, all right, we're out of time, so we are going to have to jump out of here. But like I said, we will not be here tomorrow. Uh, barring Marty calling me and saying, yeah, I'd, I'd like to come on tonight. If he wants to come on, then we will have something tomorrow. If not, then we will be back on Wednesday. All right. For those of you who have not signed up to our Telegram channel, get over there, get signed up to us. Uh, we put out all of our podcasts we do here every day. And we also put out an exclusive podcast once a week just to our Telegram subscribers. Also, you have access to our news feed. You'll be able to drop a comment in in our comment section over there as well. We might be doing a live Q&A this week, maybe. Uh, if I can get if I can round GP up around here, maybe if he's around tomorrow, uh, since we're not doing anything, maybe we'll sit down. We'll do a live Q&A in Telegram. I don't know. So anybody's listening on Telegram, feel free to jump in. So be watching for that if we don't podcast tomorrow. I don't know. So we'll see. Also, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so anytime by dropping us an email at tips at dynamicindependence.com. And we would ask you to pass this along to friends, family, and associates. We are trying to grow, but we do need your help in order to do that. So if you could pass this along, we would appreciate that. We're available everywhere you get your podcasts. Also, if you're rating podcasts, if you give us a rating when you get a chance, that'd be great as well. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. All right, that'll do it for today. Thank you for being here today, Bruce. Thank you to all the listeners. Everyone have a great evening.